In this episode of What's the Story, Old Glory, we talk to former Ambassador to New Zealand and Senator for Massachusetts, Scott Brown. Uh, Senator John McCain was a mentor and dear friend. Uh, they called him up because he was in the military, I was in the military, and I went in to see him in his office. He was an historic office, pictures with everybody you can imagine. And he really, I felt, was a national treasure and a dear, dear, dear friend. And in past glory, we talk about America's heaviest president. Welcome to our latest episode of What's the Story, Old Glory? And I'm speaking to you this morning from a beautiful uh, Tauranga. And where are you, Elizabeth? I'm at home in Oamaru, where it's similarly beautiful and still outside, a lovely spring day. Fantastic. And... We're connecting in with a special guest uh, this morning from uh, the other side of the world, from uh, one of our favourite places, America, and particularly one of our favourite states, New Hampshire. And it is the former senator and former ambassador to New Zealand, Scott Brown. Scott, uh, fantastic to have you Scott on the show Brown, today. Good to see everybody. Good to speak with everybody. I miss New Zealand, certainly, and I uh, hope you're all well. Go All Blacks. Yeah, well, thank you. You've uh, you started very impressively, and you ended on an even higher note by saying yeah. we're uh, a little bit concerned about the uh, weekend coming up. Uh, I'm not yeah. talking politics here. I'm not allowed to on this uh, uh, podcast, uh, Ambassador. But um, the Island New Zealand game sits in front of us, and uh, I know you follow sure. sport very sure. closely. It's going to be a close. Well, they've point. had a tough time. I remember before, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Ireland beat uh, the All Blacks when I was there. So. Uh... If I'm, if I, yeah, yes. and, yeah, and yep. Samoa had it almost beat England the other day. I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great World Cup, and we'll be on the edge of our seats. But why don't uh, we start with a little bit of? Um, uh, we know who you are. I've met you a number of times. Have huge respect uh, for you. Could you give us just a, a quick snapshot of uh, your interest in politics, perhaps where it started, and a couple of highlights to date. Well, sure. I, I started at the local level as a uh, an assessor. That's a property evaluator. Um, there was a opening in the town uh, that I just moved to. Apparently, the previous assessor had his tires sliced, <laughs> and uh, I said, "Oh, what a great way to get to know people!" So I uh, I volunteered, got appointed, and then I ran for uh, re-election and won. And from there, assessor, selectman, which is like a a city councillor, and then state representative, which is probably if you had two houses, a lower house of MP, and then a state senator, which would be probably a higher house. And then the U.S. senator, which is uh, obviously one of uh, 100 in the country. And then, uh, as you know, the ambassador to New Zealand, Cook, Nui, and Samoa, and our interest in Antarctica. So I got involved, really, because I I wanted to get involved in the community. But then as as a selectman, I uh, ran because there was a school override issue to try to get some state funding to rehabilitate a school that was filled with asbestos and lead paint. And I went to the meeting and the uh, the old farts uh, there, they gave everybody a hard time. And my daughter was crying in the back and, and the, the guy said, will you keep that thing quiet? And I was like, well, excuse me, the thing? <laughs> and that, that was it. And so I ran against him and won and, uh, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Well, the... Um... Tell me the uh, experience in the Senate um, as sort of political uh, tragics on this side of the uh, Pacific. Um, 
how did that happen? How did you get the call up to put your name forward uh, in what is a remarkably um, blue seat? We got explained for New Zealanders, their colours are completely round the wrong way over <laughs> there. Red is uh, for centre-right, uh, the Republicans, and blue, of course, for the Democrats. So very much a blue seat, Ambassador. How did, how did it come to pass that you were given the opportunity to firstly put your name forward for that. And could you just share some of uh, how that went, that you actually won, uh, you know, yeah. extraordinary results? Well, first of, first of all, no one asked me. And in our country, you can anyone can run. Uh, and, and no one thought I could win. I was down 41 points uh, and I ended up winning by seven with uh, four and a half months to go. So it was a pretty, pretty dramatic turnaround. And uh, I ran uh, because obviously Senator Ted Kennedy, who had held a seat for over 50 years, uh, had brain cancer and he was passing away and ultimately did pass. And I'm looking at the people that are running and I'm, they're, they're, I thought they were all kind of political hacks. And I I had been in the military for, gosh, 30 years. I'd married for 27, uh, uh, didn't miss a vote. And as a, as a assessor, state rep, state senator, selectman, you know, very active politically. And I'm saying and I was really the only, you know, legitimate Republican. There were kind of some fringe candidates. And I said, you know, I'm going to win. And, and it's funny, I went down to what's called the Senatorial Committee, which is in D.C., uh, and that was a year before everybody. And don't forget that the Democrats had a super majority, which means they had 60 votes. It was 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. You don't even know, need to go to work as, as, as the 40, you know, as the minority. Um, and, and basically, um, I went down and, and I was listening to everybody and I thought I was going to get introduced. And after it, I, I was not introduced. And I went up to Senator Cornyn, John Cornyn from Texas. I said, hey, I'm Scott Brown. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm running for, you know, the, the open Senate seat. And, you know, you didn't introduce me. He says, well, you're not going to win anyway. And this is one of my own. So I said, okay, I put that in the old brain bank. And then uh, Senator John McCain, who was a mentor and dear friend, uh, I called him up because he was in the military. I was in the military and I went in to see him in his office. And it was an historic office, pictures with everybody you can imagine. And he really, I felt, was a national treasure and a dear, dear, dear friend. And uh I, I met, went in and he said, so you're running for, you know, Teddy's old seat. I go, yes, I am. And uh, he goes, well, how are the polls? I go, the polls are great. He goes, well, how are they? I go, I'm, I'm down 41 points. He goes, and he goes, he starts laughing. And I, I didn't laugh. And he goes, well, how you think you can win? I said, sir, there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to win. He says, well, how can I help? I, I don't usually help people, but you've served honorably in the military. And I said, well, if you give me $5,000 out of your pack, uh, and then uh, endorse me and then do a robocall for me. I know that's going to kickstart everything because we're very, very close to just having this thing steamroll. And he did. And then within a week, I was down, you know, 37 points, then 33 points, then 30 points. And, you know, then gradually we did this ad. It was uh, President John F. Kennedy uh, and talking about tax cuts and his strong defense. And it morphed into me talking about the same thing. It was a very, very bold move. My wife said, don't do it, don't do it. And we did it and it just went off the charts. So now we're down 20, down 15. And then uh, about a, I don't know, 10 days before the, uh, the election, the Boston Globe, who, you know, obviously they don't, they don't like Republicans. They said, oh, Scott Brown's down 15 points. He's not going to win. And, and we ended up winning by seven. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and the, the thing about it is I was the, now I broke the supermajority. So I was either the 
the 41st senator, which gives the Republican the ability to go to work, hold debate, filibuster, you know, basically be in the conversation, or the 60th senator, which would mean to drop things and move things forward. And I was the most bipartisan senator in the U.S. Senate, and I was a problem solver. I wasn't an, an obstructionist. I wanted to move our country forward because we were having some real issues. And as a result of that, uh, you know, I did. So I, I served and, you know, controlled the Senate and the conversation for almost two years. And uh, ultimately I lost because I, I was upset. Uh, you know, the Democrats and Chuck Schumer, they wanted and Obama wanted me out because I was, you know, stopped the filibuster and the Republicans. I, I wasn't a pure, pure blood and they, you know, they, I, I wouldn't always vote for them. So, you know, I said, I don't care. I did what I was supposed to do in the way it was supposed to be done. And then ultimately, uh, you know, moved on and I was on boards and, and had, a, had, a, had a, you know, uh, coaching and grandfathering and, and just getting caught up uh, with life. And then uh, obviously eventually became the ambassador, uh, supported President Trump and became the ambassador in New Zealand, Cook, New Way, Samoa and our interest in Antarctica. And without a doubt, that was, uh, you know, probably the greatest political honor of my life is to being in your amazing country. I, I think about it all the time. You know, just the runs I used to do, the, you know, hit, hitting the bike and, and just, you know, mountain, whether it's mountain bike, road bike, you know, going down to Patoni and, you know, hitting the, the end of the road and turning back. So, yeah, it's all good. So in terms of your um, ambassadorial appointment, as you said, it was under the Trump administration. But um, I understand that there was sort of uh, widespread support for that appointment which is interesting given, as you've already touched on, how divided US politics was at the time and and is even more so now, apparently, from an outside perspective. Can you give us your thoughts sure, on sure. that? Sure, sure. Well, I, I do remember when I when it came out that I was nominated, I do remember the amazing press I got in New Zealand that uh, a model, uh, former model believes in, uh, former nude model uh, believes in uh, waterboarding. <laughs> I'm like, I remember that. <laughs> so I'm already like condemned before. And they wanted me, uh, obviously, the prime minister to basically say, you know, you don't don't allow him to come. And it's like, are you kidding me? I was like, you know, a former U.S. senator, you know, military for 35 years. And, you know, I, I didn't believe in waterboarding. I supported it when it was legal. But when it wasn't, I didn't, you know, just like every other soldier, we do our jobs. And, and the nude modeling. Yeah, listen, I, it, was, it was Cosmo. It was semi, you know, so whatever. You didn't see anything. God, it's funny. The Democrats would always use that against me. They'd put a picture out and say, you know, are you going to vote for a guy like this? And the ladies and the guys would say, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> so it kind of backfired. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, listen, I, I didn't burn any bridges. And uh, 94 to 4, it's one of the highest. Uh, Nikki Haley and I were, were probably the highest during that time period. Because, listen, the Democrats, while they did not necessarily uh, uh like my views, uh, similar to me with Bernie Sanders, I don't agree with anything that Bernie Sanders believes, but he believes what he believes, and I respect him for that. And that's kind of the same way the Democrats looked at me. Many of them didn't believe what I believed, but they re respected the fact that I was always prepared. I always treated them very cordially and never, you know, picked a fight. I, I, I was very firm. I would battle to him blue in the face, but nothing that I would ever regret, you know, crossing that proverbial line. Um, and then ultimately, uh, it was Elizabeth Warren, the, my, the you know, senator that beat me, who really pushed for me to uh, get here. And then I had Jean Shaheen, who's and Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, who also supported me. So people, Bernie Sanders, uh, I'll never forget, I was walking down 
the hall uh, uh, during the time period. And, and I was always on Fox saying, you know what, I don't agree with a thing Bernie Sanders agrees with, but I respect the fact that he believes it. And, and, and for me, that, that carries a lot of weight. And as I'm walking down the hall, I goes, hey, Senator, how you doing? I go, or Ambassador Elect, I go, sir, good. He goes, you know what? I don't believe with I don't believe anything you believe in, but I I I respect the fact that you believe it, and you know you got my vote. So it's just those types of things. But it was a great honor to come and serve, uh, Ambassador. You you touch on the um, sort of political philosophy that you brought to the role as senator, which was problem solving, practical, um, you know, absolutely driven by a set of values, but looking at the issues that were in front of you on the day and trying to find a resolution and a solution to them. You also mentioned earlier that Senator John McCain was your mentor and um, someone who's followed a little bit of politics from this side of the uh, Pacific. Uh, you know, he's just a, was a remarkable uh, man. Also, as you say, served like you did, incredible values, uh, was the best of many senses of our perspective of America. What's changed because when we turn the TV on now and look at um, American politics, uh, it just seems a, a toxic um, cesspool almost. You know, last week the speaker got um, uh, bowled by someone on his own party. I mean, you, you, you live it, you see it. Could you try and explain to us how is it that um, the America that we used to see of the George Bush, George W. Bush, people like Senator McCain, people who were in the Senate and represented strong perspectives, but also could walk, could reach across the aisle and uh, be, um, be, you know, be men of genuine substance. It, it just seems to be not like that. So what do you think? Help us out here. And I'm going to take it kind of big and then I'm going to kind of bring it in a little bit. So listen, big, our founding fathers, uh, you know, created something that has lasted for centuries and they, and democracy is messy. You know, we're a constitutional republic. It's messy. So there are checks and balances in effect. So if you, if you don't like the speaker, the problem is that McCarthy allowed one person to object and bring up a roll call uh, because there was such a slim margin. So he basically sold the soul to the devil and gave them that in. Uh, I don't. I thought what Gates did was self-serving, cowardly, and, and quite frankly, is still uh, having uh, effects, especially with what's happening in Israel. The fact that we need budgetary issues. I thought I'm not a big fan of Kevin McCarthy, but I thought he did the right thing by keeping our government open. That's number. That's number one and a half, so to speak. Uh, yeah, when I was there, we had about 20 people in the middle who were problem solvers. Now that's basically maybe Joe Manchin on the Democrat side and. Uh, Susan Collins on the Republican side, and maybe Cinema, uh, Senator Cinema, in between there, and uh, the House and Senate is uh, the House is completely divided uh, right now, and you have a slim majority. So you know, if anyone falls away, they have a group of seven hard right conservatives who basically they don't want to spend, they don't want to solve, they just want to be obstructionists. And I, I quite frankly think it's a, a shame, and it's uh, I, I think it's a little bit cowardly. Uh, number number two and a half. Uh, the Senate. Listen, there's some great people there still, uh, but when you it's driven by uh, folks, partisan influences on both sides. Um, there are times, though, I don't think it's completely broken because they ultimately did pass a budget. They did pass a continu sorry a continuing resolution to fund. They've done some good things on disaster relief, on veterans. There is are functioning things. 
the, the media does portray, I remember being in New Zealand and seeing a lot of the things that were happening and all that New Zealand news does is focus on the bad. They never talked about the amazing accomplishments and the wonderful things we were doing, helping people around the world. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. No, no. And is it upside down a little bit? Yeah. Between the whole wokeism thing and, and, and then trying to rewrite our history, you know, I mean, w with the Maori and, and, and obviously what's happening in New Zealand, you know, there's not necessarily statues. I remember being in Queenstown and they didn't take down the statue of, of the former uh, slave owner. They put a, a placard up saying, hey, listen, this guy did this and this, but he also was a slave owner. You know, I mean, we, we can't turn off and rewrite history. We have to explain it for the new generation so it doesn't get repeated. So that's kind of the long way to answer. But listen, yeah, I'm a little bit uh, I'm, I'm disgusted as to what's going on in this in our country. Uh, the lack of problem solving and, and civility. Um, you know, fortunately, it's not around my area. It's not in New Hampshire. I don't see it at all. Uh, Massachusetts, a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, Vermont, uh, Maine, I don't see it. But in, listen, the cities, you know, California, uh, Chicago, uh, these places, uh, I'm sorry, uh, LA, uh, San Francisco, Chicago, these places where they voted to defund the police, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, has created lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Businesses are closing. You have people living on the streets doing drugs. Fentanyl is out of control in some areas. So we need some strong leadership to come in. That's in Joe Biden's been an abject failure in all of his issues that he's done. It's just a complete night and day from any other president I've ever seen. Obama included. Joe Biden is completely upside down and respectfully his faculties are wanting. So that was to be our next question. Um, given that um, he is the incumbent nominee um, from the Democrats, particularly now that RFK has gone out on his own, but we'll talk about that a bit later. What what do you think about Biden and his prospects? I mean, from from our perspective, as, as Todd said, on this side of the Pacific, um, he seems like he's very elderly, uh, all due respect. Um, and it's just extraordinary that um, there's a potential that four more years after if he is elected in the in the next election uh what's he going to be like at the end of his term so uh, uh what's joe biden 78 yeah winston peters is 78 too compare yeah. those compare those two people uh yeah joe biden i know joe biden i serve with him uh i like him I, and i wish him well because if he does well the country does well but he's not doing well our border is terrible. We let in 6 million people illegally. Can you imagine New Zealand if you did that? that you, you don't yeah, allow anyone in. You know, yeah. forget forget about an orange or a banana. You know, you don't let anyone in who doesn't have, you know, the right <laughs> qualification. You know, so, yeah. um, so you, and then the fentanyl, he's, Biden's finally going to be starting the border up again. Uh, our foreign policy is laughable. The pull up for Af from Afghanistan, it's almost like uh, what Obama did with the red line in the sand uh, in, with the, um, in that whole situation with Syria um, and the economy, inflation, energy prices. We've gone completely from being energy independent, uh, having virtually no people coming in illegally, uh, very little fentanyl coming into the country, uh, lowest inflation, low mortgage rates, uh, you know, a booming economy, to the complete opposite in two years. And so, yeah, I don't think he makes it mentally. You know, you can be gentle. I'm trying to be, I obviously want to be gentle because I do like him, but you know, he, he's, he's fumbling and bumbling and falling and just doing things that, you know, when you, you see it, we've all had people that we either know or in our family what's going on. And I think yeah. there'll ultimately be somebody else replacing him. 
you do, but um, as either a vice president candidate or actually prior to the election? It's hard to say. Year. It's hard to say. I don't think his health is, is, is good. Like I said, he's just He's just not all there. <laughs> Sorry to say. Yeah. And when you um, and it's a very good comparison you make to Winston. Um, you know, he is Winston's Winston. As you know, we're discussing before. You know, we're doing this a few days out from a New Zealand election here, and uh, you know, he is um, he's front and center as you would expect uh, leaders of political parties to be. And um, it's quite a contrast when you then compare. Uh, Biden, you know, reading off a monitor, pretty much. I think every yeah. time we see him in a New Zealand yeah. context, he has to be reading off a monitor very slow and quite diffidently. And it's hard to imagine another five years. Yeah, listen, it's funny, uh, Winston, whether you like him or not, um, I, I, he was one of the most active people that I dealt with on a almost a weekly basis. You know, the trips he took back to the U.S. and, you know, visiting, you know, the vice president, Pence, and they were like brothers. It was incredible. Can I just share one story? I think it's important. Please. Mm. Uh, i never forget it. So uh, I had Ben King, obviously, who was a great man, uh, uh, always calling me and Winston's team. Hi, can you, you know, Winston's coming. He's giving a speech. Can you see the vice president? See the vice? I already saw him like seven times. And I'm, I like, I keep trying to get in touch with the vice president. Usually I can, but I was getting the runaround by his handlers. And uh, so I always get everywhere early. And I remember going into the White House and I was sitting in the little ante room where, you know, obviously where the president is in, in the Oval Office and then the meetings and you have to go basically across. And I said, and I, I sat there and I said, dear God, please, I hope I see the vice president. And all of a sudden out he walks. And, and I go, Mr. Vice President. He goes, Scotty, how are you? I go, sir, I'm great. You're great. He goes, listen, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here seeing the National Security Advisor, you know, the Deputy Chief of Staff, obviously Chris Liddell. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing some things. Uh, and he goes, wow, that's great. I said, sir, you know, he said, he said, Scott, you know, I just want you to know, you know, you're doing a great job down there and I pray for you all the time. Is who he, that's who he is. I said, sir, as a matter of fact, I pray for you too. I just prayed that I would see you. And I also prayed that we would see you and that you would say that you would see Winston Peters uh, for a few minutes. And, and Nicely goes, done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And he, he, he said, he said, you've been trying to have Winnie come in and see me? I go, yeah, I'm getting the runaround from your guys. He looks at all the guys. I threw him completely under the bus. He said, <laughs> have him here in two hours. So I get on the phone. I call Ben. I call Winston. You know, I say, bah, 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 comes in. Now, the vice president has no time. None, right? So he brings him in his office, and not only did he stay there for 25 minutes, 30 minutes, at the end of the meeting, the vice president took Winston down the stairs, all right, opened his car door, gave him a hug, shut the door, and said goodbye. Now, how many world leaders do you know do that? That's the type of respect Winston had uh, wow. with, with the vice president and with the administration, but not for his actions, obviously the P8s. Uh, what we did with the White Island volcano, what we did the Christchurch terrorist attack, a lot of those issues that dramatically changed New Zealand life. And we were there. Uh, and, and it was because of a lot of, respectfully, his efforts. Speaking of Mike Pence, um, you've obviously got a good understanding of the range of Republican candidates. In fact, you've been hosting them um, at particular functions so you get to meet each one can you yeah. give us uh, i mean from from our perspective todd and i've talked about this before and with previous guests it's interesting that there's so many running um against trump who has such a commanding lead and you said yourself in your senate race that you were managed to claw it back 
um, when you're 41 points down, but it doesn't seem like any of the other candidates have that prospect ahead of them as being able to claw it back. So we're really interested to know what you think of them, why they're running, what their prospects are. And and what you did at the afternoon tea parties, like did you yes. bring out the guitar or, you know, it's, this is you, remember? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a tea party, Todd. Obviously, you, you, you know me well, but not obviously not that well if you said it was a tea party. No, these yeah, are yeah, called, no, didn't throw sorry. anything in the harbour. Yeah, no, these no, are called sorry. the, the uh, Scott Brown No BS Backyard Barbecues. Uh, my wife oh, that's I, much better. Yeah. My wife and I did them. I'm 16. I had 16 of the 18 presidential candidates and Trump was there in the last... Last one, we had like 3,000 people in the middle of a snowstorm. So when I got back from New Zealand and the cycle started up again, you know, I said, you know what, I'd like to do this again. And as a result, we did. And we had, we've had we had everybody that's on the stage, including Asa Hutchinson, Burgum. Uh, the most recent one we had was RFK Jr. We had, we had over 2,000 people uh, in the rain. Uh, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen. And with Haley, we had about 400. DeSantis, about 400. Ramaswamy, about 525. Uh, Scott about 350. So, but no one went to 2000, you know, no one. Uh, so yeah, listen, they all are fully qualified and every single one of them would be uh, Joe Biden if, if President Trump was in the race. There's no doubt in my mind. That being said, President Trump is in the race and obviously he has some very serious legal issues. And for some people they're, they're, that affects them, that they're not going to vote for him because they're saying, well, do we want four years of him defending and, you know, or do we want someone new who can move forward, you know, who's a clean slate, who can just move our country in a different direction? Now, Nikki Haley, as you know, was the ambassador of the UN when I was the ambassador to New Zealand and Samoa. And uh, I thought, she, I think she's very well qualified. Mike Pence is probably the most overall qualified governor, congressman, vice president, you know, world leader, contacts and understanding, especially in January 6th, when he stood up and protected our constitution against all odds. And Nikki Haley's uh, probably is very, very well qualified governor, UN ambassador, Tim Scott, you know, U.S. Senator, Burgum, governor, businessman, multi-zillionaire, Ramaswamy, kind of the, the new kid on the block, uh, you know, businessman, self-made millionaire. Uh, you know, Chris Christie, uh, governor, uh, attorney general, has run a couple of times. So in New Hampshire, see, what I, I recognize about a year left in my term that people in those New Zealand don't understand that we have 50 states. And within those states, we have 50 governors, almost like 50 presidents. Like that governor of that state has executive privilege to run that state no matter however he or she wants. And we have a thing called the, um, uh, uh, the, well, the Constitution obviously allows for states' rights, states to do things that the federal government may not want them to do. So when you hear about, uh, you know, our states and our governor, it wasn't until a year later that people said, what's a governor? And I'm like, what? And so imagine it's, it's like Australia. You know, they have all these, these, these small, uh, well, not small, these huge little uh, different uh, sections of Australia, they each are autonomous almost to the, to the, to the government. And well, that's how it is in, in our country. So we have 50 states and then other territories. So in our country, New Hampshire is the first in the nation primary state. It's where it all happens. It's the first one, Iowa and New Hampshire. So everybody comes here and the, the kind of the running joke is, hey, you're going to vote for, uh, you're going to vote for uh, Mike Pence for president? And people say, well, I like Mike Pence. I love what he did as, an, as a governor and a congressman and as, as a vice president, how he protected the Constitution. But I got to meet him five or six more times. 
meaning they, they know we have a million 1.2 million about you know the fifth of the size of your country uh in my state um and people expect to meet them five or six times because they take the process very 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 seriously so yeah trump was over 50 percent he's around 39 percent now it's the election's not tomorrow uh, so there is time, and, and you're seeing headway by uh, Christie and Haley, mostly. DeSantis seems to be slipping, but he's got a pretty good ground game. Uh, so I think I would say that the top four are Haley, uh, probably uh, DeSantis, uh, Christie, and uh, probably Tim Scott with Vice President Pence on the outside, just a touch. Hmm. And so, uh, Ambassador, these were in your um, home in your. Uh, we had them that, it was, they were too big, so we had to. Yeah. We had a place down the street where it was an, an old florist, but they had a very big barn and a backyard barbecue pit, and a lot of land. So we were able to do Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah, we had hot dogs and beer. No hot dogs and beer, man. It, it, you know, I spent over forty thousand dollars in. Uh, sorry, this year twenty thousand dollars in hot dogs and beer. And, and people were basically, when you say they, they get grilled, literally anybody from Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, we had people from Vermont, I'm sorry, from Maryland and, and Tennessee come up for these things. Yeah. And they literally grill the candidates. You know, they will ask, sir, you didn't answer my question. And I let them go. You know, I just control, yeah. obviously, monitor things. And at the end, I do an interview. I, I have a contract with Trinity Broadcast Network. It's uh, out of Texas. And I did an interview. I would do an interview. People can go on uh, if they have Twitter. Do, do you have Twitter there? Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, yeah uh, you can go Centerpoint uh, TBN Centerpoint. You can see those stories, or you can go to you know at at Sen S E N Scott Brown, and you can see the stories. They're very informative, but uh, the people loved them. Uh, just loved them. I've had so many wonderful people come up and say, "Wow, that was incredible." Well, we'll make sure to put those on our. Um on our uh, feed when we uh, do drop this episode. Uh, you it's talked about our... Exactly, not to interrupt, but I'm the only person in the country that they feel compelled to come to because it, yeah. it gets great press and, and they know me. Obviously, I serve with most of them and yeah. they know that they're going to get a fair shake and that undecided voters are going to come. Uh, so how do that? Do you control who comes in? No. Ambassador? No. no. So it's just anyone locally who wants to come and listen to a presidential yeah. candidate rock up and have a beer and a hot dog and yep. fire questions away. Yeah, I have a, I have a, about a 1500 person mail email that I sent it out to. And then the candidates usually have another thousand. And then, uh, you know, I put it on Facebook, uh, you know, towards the end and then word of mouth. Yes. Yeah, see somebody at the gym. I'll have a flyer. Hey, get your rear end over there. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Fantastic. It's very similar to our barbecues at the at the uh, ambassador's residence. I know you've yeah. been to a couple, so yeah, fantastic. RFK Junior. Yeah, two thousand people. Yeah, it was wow. Easy. Tell it was me about day. tell me about that experience, and yeah. I'm sure Elizabeth's going to have a view as to you know and what happens now that he's not in the race in the for the Democratic nomination at least. Well, it's the Democrats' fault. They completely rigged the uh, rules. Uh, the DNC rules and regulations state that uh, they cannot endorse or get involved in, in, in endorsing a, a candidate until the primaries are over. And they immediately came out and endorsed Joe Biden and said, yeah, we're not going to hold any primaries anywhere. But there are two other candidates. Uh, there's, Joe, there's obviously um, uh, RFK Jr. And then there's an, another woman, Marianne Williamson, uh, who are running. 
And uh, RFK was polling about 20%. And basically, uh, they told him that your delegates from New Hampshire and Iowa won't count because we pick South Carolina as the starting point uh, of when, when that's going to be the first in the nation. Well, our state's laws say that we will always be the first. So if South Carolina moved theirs to tomorrow, we'd move it to the day before until it could be, you know, it could be tomorrow, literally. But that being said, yeah, JFK, RFK Jr. was really special. I've never seen a turnout like that, except for my races when I was running and I had, you know, thousands and thousands of people coming out of the woodwork, people who were disenfranchised, had never voted, who were frustrated at the state of play right now. And by RFK, and I speak to him pretty regularly, um, you know, at, at length about many different things. And I find him to be a fascinating man. You know, he has some different ideas on some issues for sure. But, you know, no offense, so does Trump and Biden and Obama. You know, they all have their, their idiosyncrasies. That being said, by him going in independent, I think it, take, it takes away from both candidates. So here, picture this. So your, your listeners may not know. So we have obviously the popular vote. You know, how many votes? You get 50% plus one. You get one more vote than anybody. So let's say it's 20 million and 20 million and one, right? And then you have to have the electoral college also, which is a certain amount of, of, of votes throughout the electoral college process that the uh, states have to uh, confirm. That's what the whole January 6th thing was about. And uh, I think it's 270, if I'm not mistaken, 270. Yeah, 270 is what they need to get. So picture this, right? Picture this. So you have, um, you have, let's just say Donald Trump gets a million five. Um, uh, uh, Joe Biden gets a million two. And RFK Jr. gets a million. Uh, just throwing those out for numbers. Well, obviously, Trump won, won the popular vote. So oh, yes, he's the president. Well, no, it's like, it's like uh, rugby or football. You have other quarters. You, know, you have to f finish the game. Well, the game now is the Electoral College. So let's just say, hypothetically, Donald Trump and his vote margin wouldn't have enough for the 270. Let's say he gets 240. And let's say that Joe Biden gets 239. And then let's say that uh, uh, um, uh, RFK Jr. gets the balance. No one gets to 270. Well, what happens? Do you know what happens? I'm going to tell Does you. Does it go to the House? It goes yeah. to the House. That's right. It goes to the House. And right now, who do you think the House would, in fact, pick? Who knows the way things are going? So it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. Fast. I mean, and, and the thing that I, as a history major, the thing I find fascinating is that our founding fathers, you know, put in play um, scenarios and solutions for these types of things. It's, it's amazing that they thought of these crazy things. It is when you think when the, the Constitution was written. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It really is. Uh, and, really is. You know, and you're and, one of the um, only countries without a constitution. I think one of four countries, if I'm not mistaken. The primaries, and you say that New Hampshire law uh, and Iowa, I believe as well, say that they have to go first as states. But then the DNC have said, no, we're switching to South Carolina being the first, like you said. How is that going to resolve itself? Um, what's the, what's the, how's that tension going to work out in practice? We're going to be first. And the DNC, you know, whether they want to play or not. Right now, Joe Biden's not on the ballot. Donald Trump is, and now RFK Jr. will be, but he's not even on the ballot. So he won't get any delegates from, from this. 
so yeah, it's just it's a total upside down mess. You know, the DNC is obviously doing what they did to Bernie Sanders, but even worse with RFK Jr. And he had absolutely no choice than to, to run as an independent, none. And they, they forced him into a corner and now it could very well cost them the election. It sounds like a very big strategic gamble that they've taken. Amen, I know. So perhaps um, if you don't mind to conclude, uh, Ambassador, um, do you do you have a horse in this race or because you're close to so many, uh, are you more just supporting ultimately who comes through? Uh, no. Who do you think will get the nomination and uh, what's your prediction for November next year? Well, so um, I said that I would endorse after everybody is done going through the barbecues. I reached out to President Trump. He hasn't responded yet. I'm hearing that Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor, may jump in. So I'm, I'm going to sit back still, uh, I, I believe. Uh, but listen, if you want to be the king, right, you have to beat the king. And a lot of these people are trying to beat the king. And uh, President Trump has done some wonderful things. You know, obviously the border, his treatment of China in the Indo-Pacific, which dramatically affected us and all the ASEAN nations. In a, in a very positive way, our military strength, our strength throughout the world, you know, uh, force, you know, basically cajoling NATO to be more of a, you know, contributor. And thank God they did based on what's happening in Ukraine. Um, you know, the, the, the inflation, the economy bringing jobs back to there are a lot of great things. But, you know, on the other hand, he, he did not finish the wall and he did not have Mexico pay for it. And a lot of the things that happened on January 6th, people like, you know, as Mike Pence said, he asked him to basically suspend the Constitution. You don't suspend the Constitution in our country. And as a result, a lot of people lost respect. And listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I completely disagreed with it and I called them out on it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Wow. What a fantastic interview subject. Again, we've been lucky enough to get. That was amazing. He was very, uh, very impressive. Uh, I mean, I, what I love is he's just such a, a open guy and so engaging. And, you know, I've met him a number of times personally when he was the ambassador over here. And he really did engage with New Zealand quite impressively. And he's right, you know, when he was first suggested uh, or recommended by President Trump, uh, because, you know, most New Zealanders had a pretty negative view of Trump. He was sort of caught up in that uh, perspective. But through his own uh, remarkable efforts and his wife, Gail, they really did travel the whole of the country and uh, connect with people and often in a very, um, uh, you know, very out there way. You know, he talked about his mountain biking and his uh, tramping and hiking and, you know, he's a very athletic guy and he just loved the place. I was very, I was very impressed. I Really interesting he t said that um, John McCain was his mentor because I thought that mm. said a lot about the kind of politician that he is uh, and um, his approach that he brought to um you know, not only his senatorial career, but also his ambassadorial career. What were your thoughts? Yeah. What were your highlights of what he said? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the way he spoke so passionately about how he, when he was in the Senate, he worked to get the job done and did what his constituents and the American public expected of their elected leaders, and that's to, to lead and to govern, um, as, as opposed to what we're seeing now um, when bipartisan... Um, Bipartisanism seems to have taken over, and some people have lost 
the perspective of what they're actually elected to do. Um, and it was so it was really good, I think, to be able to hear him talk about that from a personal perspective. And and again, like you say about McCain, um, very much a, a statesman like figure uh, with a very impressive background. And that's quite different to how the New Zealand media portrayed the ambassador before he got here. Um, mm. So hearing him speak about that with such passion and conviction um, was, yeah, really, it, it obviously came from his heart. It did, and it's quite a commitment, isn't it, to uh, you buy 20,000 sausages or hot dogs <laughs> yeah. and beers. I want to go. Remarkable, I feel like I've something. Yeah, what a remarkable thing to do, and for it to be open. So I thought it might have been an exceptionally yeah. closed shop, but, it, you know, essentially it was through to the Republican Party network of his state, and anybody who wanted to come turned up and listened. It's extraordinary. And, and the numbers. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the big numbers, particularly for RFK Jr. And like he said, anyone can go online and watch it. So we'll put the links to um, to his channels in the show notes, and I would encourage anyone to do so because they are exactly how he described them. And um, it's interesting that he lets the public ask their questions and demand answers of the politicians. I was very impressed with him. I think he is a far more um, deep and considered person than perhaps the New Zealand media initially thought he was when he turned up here. Quite impressive. Very impressive, actually. So you've got another very important president you want to have a chat to us about, eh? Yes, so for our Old Glory segment today, um, I didn't select this one. Um, I was having difficulty choosing, so I, I gave my husband the line, the photo lineup of all the past presidents, and he picked one based on facial hair. So he really liked this <laughs> president's moustache, so that's how we got to choose. They all had moustaches back then. But Side his was particularly and... impressive, particularly yes. impressive. Yes. So today we're talking about the 27th president, William Howard Taft. Um, he was born in 1857 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, in terms of his career before politics, he was a lawyer and a judge. He had studied at Yale, uh, where he was a wrestling champ. Uh, he was a very big man, um, physically as well as in terms of his presence. And from a young age, he had a dream, and his dream was to become not the President of the United States, but Supreme Court Justice. Oh, that's even more, that's even more nerdy than us, you know. I, mean, I, know. We, I had a dream, <laughs> a dream of being the President of the United States, but, you know, that's sort of, well, it's really not defendable from a, you know, 12-year-old Kiwi, but, you know, it's to be the Chief Justice. Wow, that's yes, something. yes. So um, he actually became, he rose to prominence in the cabinet of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He became his Secretary of War in 1904 um, after President McKinley was assassinated in 1901 and, and Roosevelt took over. Uh, when Roosevelt was elected for his partially second term in 1904, he vowed that he would not run again, so he would not seek a, a essentially 2.5 term in office. Um, and Teddy Roosevelt at that point had uh, shoulder-tapped Taft and said, I want you to, to be the man that takes over from me. Um, and Taft re reluctantly took the Republican nomination. Um, 
and and legend has it that even at the Republican Party nomination uh, convention, the day before it happened, he had told someone if they offered him the, the the role of Supreme Court justice, he would take it over the presidential nomination. Mm. Um, but then, so interest, what was interesting about the 1908 election, which he won, was that it really was the start of, because we've talked about this before, that in, in, the pre in previous times, the Democrats tended to be more conservative and the Republicans were a bit more liberal. But this, this election against William Jennings Bryan, who was the Democrat nominee, flipped that on its head. So William Jennings Bryan had already lost two campaigns against the Republicans. Um, and at that time, there was a growing sort of union movement. Um, there was a growing movement in the US populace around social justice issues, civil rights issues. The 1908 election was the first election where women in some states, I think it was six states, were allowed to um, vote. So the franchise was spreading. Um, and as I say, social issues were coming to the fore. And so William Jennings Bryan um, held, uh, sort of captured that um, and moved the Democrats um, into more of a uh, liberal social justice party, whereas Taft, after he was elected, became more conservative. So took the Republican Party in a more right, right-wing conservative direction. Um, although he was Roosevelt's um, heir, he did things markedly different than Roosevelt. He chucked out his entire cabinet and um, oversaw some unpopular decisions. And so then... Uh, when the election started, when the following election happened in 1912, um, Taft was up against progressive uh, academic Woodrow Wilson. And then because Teddy Roosevelt was so upset about what he saw happening in the Republican Party because with it becoming more conservative, he then started up a third party called the Progressive Party. And so the vote was split between, in the, on the Republican side, it was split between the Progressive side of the party who many then shifted their votes to Roosevelt and the conservative side of the party who supported Taft, which meant that Woodrow Wilson took an easy victory in 1912. But it all was not lost for, for Taft because after he lost the election, he realised his dream and was appointed to the Supreme Court and became uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And he is the only American president to have done so. Yeah, what a fantastic story. And it's a little bit of a taste, I think, for our conversations in the next few weeks around third parties, because part of the reason, uh, obviously, we discussed with uh, Ambassador uh, Brown today, the, the, the building momentum over RFK Jr.'s uh, candidacy, now that he's a third party candidate, and the immediate fearful reaction from the Democrats. And it's because I suspect they think he's it's going to take a bit of their vote. But in a razor sharp or razor tight election, that's going to have an impact. And Absolutely. third parties have had a massive impact over American politics. So be worth exploring that a bit more, won't it? Yeah, that's right. Third party presidents don't get elected. Well, they haven't done for a long, long time. Um, but they do split the vote and do affect who ultimately moves into the White House. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Fantastic. Well, I hope you enjoyed our episode. We've loved it. Uh, it's great uh, getting a New Hampshire perspective uh, and look forward to hearing uh, from 
another perspective when we catch up next time and look forward to that. Take care and uh, we'll see you soon. What's the Story Old Glory is written, produced and edited by Old Glory Casting. Our cover art is by Caitlin at Studio Naylor and our theme tune is Shootout at Sundown by Dalboni. You can follow us on threads, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Please send any questions to oldglorypod at gmail.com.